Welcome to Lindsay Lane North. Man, we are so glad to have you today. My name's Alan. I am the campus pastor here. Uh, and excited to have you as we begin our new year. Happy New Year. 2020 came and is now gone. All right? Longest three years of my life. So it is over. Uh, and so 2021, obviously, there's some residual effect we're still dealing with. Uh, but hopefully that'll be... Uh, short-lived. Uh, as we begin the new year, and we are so excited about the direction that God has given us as a church. And I say church because it's the direction he's given us over the next four, uh, this Sunday and the next four Sundays following, as well as for our home groups. Uh, we are beginning a series entitled Start Here. Start Here. And so the, the idea of, of this principle is that we, we understand where we are uh, in our relationship with the Lord. So many times people tell you, I, I just don't know where to start. I get so overwhelmed. I'm meeting with a, a gentleman right now, a younger guy that is uh, new in his walk with the Lord. And, you know, he, he talked about how overwhelming it can be to have to learn everything and have to read so many Bible verses and have to memorize and have to, you know, do right and, and do all the right things. And he said, it's just a lot. It's a lot. Uh, but we're going to start somewhere. We're going to start here. And so the next four weeks uh, and this week are going to be tracking an idea. And what's neat about it is our home groups that begin this week. So if you're not signed up, you don't want to miss our home groups. Uh, they're going to be beginning this week. And they will be taking a very practical, hands-on, application-driven uh note of what we're talking about on Sunday mornings. And so uh, I'm excited about that. Jeremiah has worked incredibly hard to do that. And so I hope that you would plug in to that as we start here. In 2021, we start here and begin to grow a foundation by which we can journey closer to Christ in our walk with him. Now, my dad was a is a student was a student pastor, a youth pastor. So growing up, um, right there, right off the bat, you know some of my dysfunction. Okay, my dad was my youth pastor. You know the guy that knows knows things about you as a teenager that you're afraid for your parents to know. Yeah, that guy was my dad, right? And so I grew up my whole life uh, with my dad in student ministry, and uh, and it wasn't until I actually graduated from the student ministry that I that uh, my dad became the senior pastor at Bethlehem, and so he had served there for years and years. Uh, and then once I got out of the student ministry, he's like, man, I can't do better than that, so we'll just shut it down. I'm just kidding. Uh, but but he, he was, and now he's, he's pastor there at, at Bethlehem. But one of the perks of being a youth pastor's kid is my dad started something, gosh, I, probably before I was born, uh, taking juniors and seniors uh, that were either they were incoming seniors or outgoing seniors, meaning they would be done with student ministry, on a junior-senior beach trip. At least two of you in this room have been on that trip. Uh, we're not going to, to point fingers. But uh, in, in fact, I can't remember if this is the actual trip that this happened on or not. But anyway, uh, we, my dad would take, us, take them on a beach trip. Now, 
you know, no pressure, Joseph, wherever he's at, no pressure on that. Uh, but just, just saying, that's what my dad did, and, it, and I liked it. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I, I didn't do it. I didn't do it at Lindsay Lane, okay? Uh, so, so we went on these junior-senior trips, and me, as the young kid, would tag along with his daddy. You know, we'd go, and we'd have a ball. We'd have a great time. And this particular time, we, I could not have been more than seven or eight. I mean, I was little bitty, and... We went to Panama City Beach, and that was where you went at one point. Now, obviously, now you can see plenty of reasons as it has developed why to deter people from going to Panama City Beach. And they go to, they go to Gulf Shores, I think, now. But uh, we, they would go to Panama City Beach, and uh, they would hang out, have a great time, juniors and seniors, and I would always tag along. Well, I remember one particular trip. We were driving back, and my dad, who, you know, you can't, you know, he's like any man behind the wheel, like he knows what he's doing, he can't tell him nothing, he knows where he's going, all that good stuff. Uh, We encounter traffic, as you normally do in the summer when you're driving back from the beach. Uh, We encounter some traffic. So what did he do, men? That's right, right? We decide to go around it. Now, this was before GPSs and all that stuff. Sometimes GPS will do that to you, but it, there's even times that I'll try to outsmart the GPS. And boy, I have, I've got plenty of stories <laughs> of really sketchy places I have been because I've tried to outsmart our GPS. Typically, they know what they're doing now. So, but I remember he was like, you know what? We're going we're gonna to change this up. So he went a different way. And then he kept going that way, and then he made a turn, and he kept going this way, and then he made another turn. And before long... I'll never forget my mom looking over to him and saying, um, hey, Lon, are we lost? To which, as a man, he responded. No, nah, that's not what he said. Listen to what he said. This is good. I know exactly where I'm going. I just don't know where we are. That's what he said. I know where I'm going. I just don't know where in the world. I'll never forget we passed Niceville, Florida. Uh, we went in the middle of night. Some of y'all know, may know exactly where that is. Apparently, it's north of Panama City somewhere. Uh, we went in Niceville, Georgia. And I thought, well, you know, at least if we've got to be lost, it's good to be lost in Niceville, Georgia, or Niceville, Florida. You know, probably not like being lost in like, you know, can you imagine somebody driving through Skinham, Tennessee and getting lost in Skinham, right? So there's worse places to be lost than, than in Niceville, Florida, but that's where we were. We were in Niceville, Florida, and my dad didn't know where we were, but he knew where we were going. And I started thinking about that as I was preparing for this message. Is that not the definition of being lost? If you don't know where you're at, how in the stinking world are you ever going to get where you're going, right? I'll never forget that as long as I live. He just, I, I know exactly where I'm going. I, just, I have no idea where I'm at. And, and I feel like when we, we talk about this series, I feel like there's a lot of people that go through their spiritual life this way. We believe, we're convinced, we know we're going to heaven, yeah, the fire insurance, like that's not up for debate. Man, I have no idea where I am spiritually. The problem with that is that's the definition of being lost. It's the definition. So when we talk about start here, where do I start? Where do I begin? Start 
right here, we're going to touch on the basics. Now, it's going to be deep today, okay? We're going to, we're going to deep dive. We're talking about God, so it's, it's, it's going to be uh, deep. But we're going to just talk about the basic stuff of what every Christian, what every believer ought to know so that we can build on that foundation. Uh, when, we go, when you go bigger places in, uh, throughout the world, I, I love the maps that sometimes that we receive. We, we go to the zoo Right, you got they got the maps. Every little area has got a little map there to show you where you are and where you need to go and where you're what you're getting to. The airport has that. Some of the bigger airports have that. Malls have that. This is where it is. This is where the food court is because that's the only thing I really care about at the mall. Um, amusement parks have this. You can figure out your way around Six Flags. Uh, I'll never forget three months actually. I'd been at at the main campus as children's and junior high pastor for three months, and I got lost in that church. If you've been to the main campus, you might have been there. You might understand. I got lost in this, and I had to literally find a map, and you know what I was looking for? That. You are here. This is extremely helpful in reading a map, because you can have a map, and that's all fine and good, but if you don't know where you're at, if you're Lon Ostrisky in Niceville, Florida, and you don't know where you're at, you're going to have a hard time getting where you're going. And so it begins with a plumb line of, here is where I am at. And so these things are incredibly helpful, right? Like, here's, here's where I'm at. Yep, there's the kangaroos over here in the zoo, and this is, you know, the, the otters are over here. Like, okay, now, now I know where I'm at. I got my bearing, and we can go. This is the idea for the Start Here series. Learning where we're at and then growing from there. Because here's the thing. All of us should be on a lifelong journey. Lifelong journey growing into the knowledge of Christ. It's not about a destination. It's not about receiving eternal life one day alone. It is about growing in who we are in Christ every single day. Knowing where you are is the first step to get where you're going. And not knowing where you are is the definition of being lost. And so we're going to start here. This is where we start today is with a question of who is God. We're going to, just, we're going to embrace that. Now listen, there are untold multitudes of sermons that could be preached. Uh, the entire scripture, right, reveals God. So obviously we're doing this in 30 minutes. So we're talking about hitting some major highlights. We are skipping a rock over the, the incredible vast ocean that is who God is. But it's important for us to understand uh, and to put in perspective who we are in light of that. And so we're talking about God today. Next week, we'll be talking about man, uh, and we'll be, we'll be building on this foundation as we go. And so if you've got your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 11. Turn to there, open up, turn on to there, wherever you've got to do. Romans chapter 11, beginning in verse 30. As you're doing that, I want to issue a word of welcome to all those that are joining online. Uh, we do miss you. Love to have you back, but we do understand the situation that so many are in, and we are thankful that God has allowed us the technology to be able to minister to you as well. And we do want you to know that you are just as much a part of what we do as a church as, as anyone that's here physically. Uh, we don't want you to stay there forever, but man, we, we are thankful for you, and thank you, thankful for you joining in, all right? And so Romans chapter 11, beginning in verse 30, let's look at who God is. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience. He's talking about Israel, 
the Jews, because of their disobedience, you've received mercy. So they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that, that he may have mercy on all. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are your judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things to are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Father, bless your word. Illuminate it. Illuminate yourself through this text. God, as we seek to be students, God, I pray that you would draw near to us and reveal yourself to us in a very real, in a very personal way. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Number one, God is great. God is great. As a little kid, I had no idea the theological bombs I was dropping when I would pray, God is great, God is good, let us thank him for this food. By his hands we all are fed. Thank you, Lord, for daily bread. God is great. If we are to understand God, we need to understand God in His greatness. It gives us unique perspective when we understand God in His greatness. The word that we are speaking of when we talk about God in His greatness is we are, we are stating that God is immense. He is massive. He is vast. The very definition of the word immense means quality of, of vastness or grandeur. When we say that God is great, we are explaining that he is big. He is, uh, he is greater than anything we can ever imagine. He is as immense as we can ever possibly understand. Listen to what Roman, uh, Paul wrote in, verse, in chapter 11, verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? There's nothing that we can do all right. There is nothing that we could ever do to ever in any real sense add value to a God who is the source of all value. Does that make sense? Like God is valuable in and of itself. And sometimes we, we preach a gospel of a Jesus and of a God who desperately needs our approval. Right? If you will just approve of God and let him, you know, you'll accept him. He's, he's asking, he's begging, please just accept him. Understand that God is God whether we believe him or not. He is God and there's nothing that we could ever do to add value, to give him a gift, right? That, he, that, that we might repay our debt to him. He is vast. The idea uh, of, of it being unsearchable is a very interesting idea. How unsearchable are his judgments. When we talk about how big God is, there's, there's no way to talk about the immensity of God without talking about the Trinity. 
I mean, think about the intricacies of the Trinity. If you would pull that up on the, on the screen here. The, this is what's known as the shield of the Trinity. Some of you have probably seen the three little loop-de-loops. This is something a little different. It's meant to help us to kind of wrap our minds around who God is and, and what makes God who he is and how the three persons of the Trinity fit into that. But you have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, right? God is in the middle, and God is, the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. However, these three, although they are inextricably tied, they are not the same thing. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not the Father and all vice versa. Right? These are distinctly different things. When we look at the Trinity, God is revealed in three distinct persons with specific attributes. But all three are connected by their nature, their essence, and being. God the Father is not the boss hog of the of the trinity and then you've got the little junior deputy in jesus right and you got the weird little mystical twilight version of god in the holy spirit right these are three distinct persons with specific attributes but they are all together one i don't understand it either okay i don't understand it either but this is a vast truth in God's word. God the Father reigns in providential care over all creation. When we pray, typically we pray to the Father. But we pray to the Father by means because of the Holy Spirit, which was given to us because of Jesus. God the Son is the agent of redemption. He is the one that in the beginning, in John 1, he was the word. He was the Son. Right? But when he wrapped himself in flesh, he became Jesus, and he purchased for us eternal life. And the fact that Jesus is God, right, in, in equality with the Father, that Jesus, to lay down his life, that God literally sacrificed himself, that's mind-boggling. Right? But he purchased our redemption. Then God, the Holy Spirit, is the, res- the residing nature of God. In the Old Testament, he would, be, he would move throughout the face of the earth. He would be uh, placed upon people, would come upon people, and then be withdrawn. Uh, but it's the residing nature of God. It, it's, in, it's how we get Scripture. It was, in, it, it, would, it was the Holy Spirit that would inspire men to write inspired text of scripture infallible words that men would write by very fallible men because they were under the inspiration of the holy spirit this is what we hear in second timothy so that paul would say to timothy all scripture is given under the inspiration of god through the holy spirit that it's profitable right and so and so that's where we arrive at that but the Holy Spirit doesn't end there. He, he convicts sin. If you've ever come to Christ, if there's ever been a time where you've turned from your sin and you received the Lordship of Christ in your life, you have had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. He has convicted you of sin. He has drawn you. If you have ever clenched the back of a pew and begged for it to be over because you did not want to respond to the gospel of Christ, you've experienced the Holy Spirit. Spirit. He convicts of sin, but he leads believers. He, once you receive him, once you accept him into your life, once you receive his gift of forgiveness, he doesn't just 
come upon you and convict you of sin, he sets up residence in your heart and life. So he, you become the literal abode, you become the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit of God dwells within you. This is complex stuff. But God is great. Let me explain something to you. If God was small enough to fit into our minds, we could discern what he was doing and why he was doing it. We could understand who he was and why he is that way. If, we, if God could, was small enough to fit in our minds, he'd never be big enough to meet all of our needs. And in the same way that a creation has no business matching the qualifications of the creator so we as creation are completely inept when it comes to reaching the greatness and the immensity that God really is. Roger Olson says, I love this about the Trinity, he says to reject the Trinity is to lose your soul, but to understand the Trinity is to lose your mind, right? And so, and so it's, it's higher than us. The Trinity, is, but the, the, the Trinity is vital to the understanding of God's immensity. It's, uh, it's vital to the understanding of all the natures of God because all three of these partner together in the work that provide the framework of how we view Christ. But he says there, your ways, your judgments are unsearchable unsearchable. And by the way, this is mentioned other places. Now, we're going to hit these fast, and you can follow along on the screen, but if you're taking notes, and I hope you are, jot these references down, because these are good. Listen to what it says about God's Word and God being unsearchable. Job 5, 9 says, Who does great things and unsearchable, marvelous things without number? The answer is God. It's a rhetorical question. Psalms 145.3 Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and His greatness is unsearchable. Isaiah 40.28 Have you not known, have you not heard the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. This word comes up time and time again in Scripture. When we look at the, how massive and the immensity of God, we have to understand His ways are unsearchable. Now, when we read unsearchable, the tendency for us is to go, well, this is a no trespassing sign. Right? I can't trespass into searching out God because He's unsearchable. And when we read that, there's, there's almost a frustration that we get. Well, I'll never understand everything, so why do I even try, right? Why would I even try to do this? If I'll never do, be perfect, never, it'll never be clear to me. Why would I even try? What we understand is in the Hebrew, this, this word unsearchable is a compound Hebrew word meaning that it cannot be searched out. Literally, that it will never run out of stuff to search for. It's not a no trespassing sign. In fact, it is a gigantic open door to immense riches made available to all. And regardless of how many times you come to it, there is always something else to find. You search God and you will always 
find God. Why? Because he reveals himself through his word. And here's what we do a lot of times. That doesn't mean we have answers to all of our questions because a lot of times we've got questions that we want answers to. I've got questions that I want answers to. So I search scripture and when I don't find those answers, I'm frustrated, but God has spoken through his word. But we have to understand something. His ways being unsearchable means that when we come to God, we come to him, when we search him out, we will find him. What God's word doesn't promise is answers to all of our questions. The purpose of scripture is not to answer every theological, spiritual, hypothetical question that you have. The primary purpose of scripture is to reveal who God is. And as God reveals himself through his word, when we search that, we will always find. Not for answers to make us feel better about whatever we're going through, but when we search him out. He is a vast, limitless resource that can be sought out. So, in your notes, we search God's immensity in his word. If God's word is a revelation of himself, we search him out through his word. It's not a no trespassing sign. It is an enter all and it is a limitless supply of fortune for those that will seek him. Secondly, God is great, but God is also God is great. He is immense. He is massive. He is vast. He is unsearchable. But God is also good. This speaks to a word similar to immense. It speaks to his eminence. Eminence literally means, in the definition literally means quality of being about to happen. There is an idea, a teaching called deism. And deism is the idea that God created creation like a clockmaker creates a clock. That he created the clock with all of the functions and all of the parts and all of the abilities to go on without him. And so God created the clock, God created the world, and he created history. And like a clockmaker would create a clock, put it on the wall or sell it or whatever, and go on to another clock, God did that with creation. He is now no longer accessible to us. He's the clockmaker. He's allowed us to function on our own time and how we function, how he created us to function. And he has left. This is a God that emphasizes his greatness, but it does not emphasize his goodness. This is not the God that we serve. If Advent taught us anything, is that we serve a God who is active in creation. He, is not just, he has not just created all things by the word of his power, but he upholds all things by the word of his power. He is, he is, uh, he is there. He is imminent. He is about to happen in our life. He is working in our life. Whether we see him, acknowledge him, repent and turn to him or not, he is working all things in creation to his glory. Romans 11 verse 30, listen what it says. For just as you were at one time 
time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of Israel's disobedience. So they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they may also now receive mercy. What's he saying? He's given a brief history of the entire Old Testament, right? He's saying Israel rejected Jesus. And because Israel rejected Jesus, the gospel began to be presented to the Gentiles. And so the Israelites hardened their hearts, and so God used the Gentiles. And here's what he told them. He said, now that you have received mercy, your job is to go back and tell about the mercy of God that's been shown to you. And so he's talking about this, and this is how he concludes it. For God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. He, we are born in a sin nature. I have never a day in my life had to teach one of my kids to pitch a fit. I've never in all my life had to teach my kids to be selfish and to be mean. I've never had to teach them to fight. A couple of them might teach them to fight right, but to fight, son, don't, don't slap, you know, put some weight. No, I haven't had to teach my kids to do these things. Why? Because they were born into that. As innocent as they may be or may have been at one time, Lord help us all, right? They were born into sin. Through Adam, all died. Because sin entered in, God, who being holy, being right, separate from us, being immense, had to distance from us. This is the dilemma of sin that we see. But it's all are consigned to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. God didn't leave us in our disobedience, in our sin, in our death. We were dead in our transgressions, in our sin. But he didn't leave us there. His eminence shows us, his goodness shows us that he has invaded our darkness with his light. In almost every case, the three separate members of the Trinity are mentioned in context to the redemption, with the redemption of man. Here's what I mean by that. Other than the baptism of Jesus, which is where we see all three members, the Holy Spirit like a dove, Jesus being baptized, and God the Father speaking. All three we see members of the Trinity. And you could argue that this is also for our redemption as well, Jesus and his obedience following the Lord. Other than that, there is no other New Testament reference to all three members of the Trinity that does not involve man's redemption in it. Let me, make, let, me, let me show you what I mean. John chapter 14, verse 26. Follow along on the screen. Write these references out, whatever you've got to do. John 14, 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom from the Father will send in my name. Who's, who's speaking here? Jesus. Right? All three of them we see. And what's the end result? He'll bring into remembrance all that I've said to you, working toward man's redemption. Romans 1, verse 4. And, it, and was declared to be the Son of God, Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. All three members of the Trinity present in this text, all three working for the resurrection from the dead. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied 
to you. Foreknowledge of God the Father, sanctification through the Spirit, and for obedience to Christ Jesus, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Every one of these examples, and more, that we have in Scripture of all three members of the Trinity, they are all working for the redemption of man. Why? Because God is good. He is not, we don't serve a God that's in some distant ivory tower somewhere, just sopped up with his greatness. But he is good. He is active. He is involved in our life. And if we'll draw near to him, he'll draw near to us. He's not just great. God is good. The Father has given us the Spirit by means of the Son. Right? All three of them are working for our salvation. And so we see God's eminence in his word. We see God's eminence in his word. We serve a God who has intervened time after time for the good of man. Look at the Old Testament. God intervening time and time again for the good of men. He, was, he did not just create a world in time and said, good luck. And push us out of the nest, but he's intervening time and time again to save Israel, to save the nations. And now in the New Testament, to save through his son by means of the Holy Spirit. And so we see, we witness it. We are eyewitnesses to see how God has invaded time, space, history for us. But that is not the end. God is great, God is good is the end of the prayer. But church, I want you to understand, we must grasp the third principle today. As God has identified himself through his word, we must understand he is great, he is good, but God is glorious. Number three, God is glorious. Now, similar to eminence, this speaks of God's eminence. All right, if you're look reading, if, you, if, you're, if you're not, you don't have the notes, if you're not looking at the screen, like that's confusing, all right? But his eminence, beginning with an E, E-M-I-N-E-N-C-E, right? His eminence literally means his recognized superiority. God is glorious. I want you to know that God's salvation, God's work to the redemption of man is important to us. He is great and he has revealed himself to us through his goodness. But understand this, church. He did it for a purpose. And the purpose was not just for you. We preach a very egocentric gospel often. We preach a gospel where we are the ends in and of ourselves. Do you know why so many Christians today claim a marginal association with Jesus? Because they've walked an aisle or they've checked a box or they've made some decision. Do you know why we see so many marginal Christians that have professed to know God, but there's no difference in their life? Do, we know, do you know why that is? Because we have missed how glorious our God is. We've missed glory. And so we've said God is good, and that means our salvation. Woo! And that's what we call it. But that is not the end. God is not just great. He's not just good. God is about his glory. Listen to Romans eleven thirty six: For from him and through him and to him are all 
things. Paul has just talked about the beautiful gospel of Christ and God's goodness and His greatness. And he said, but all of this, all of this, the word for there is a simple trans- transition. But he's summing up everything that he said with this one little word. Because of this, this has happened, and the whole purpose for this is so that from him and through him and to him are all things. Because what we have received is from God, and it has been made possible through God, does it not stand to reason that our lives then should be lived to God? If creation was made by Him, from Him, and it was made through Him, does it not make sense that all creation should be made to Him, for Him, for His purposes, not our own? We don't dictate to God. Right? Part of understanding his greatness is understanding that. We don't dictate to God because his ways are unsearchable, but we live for his glory. We serve for his glory. All the glory belongs to God. In your notes, we seek God's eminence in his word. We seek this recognized superiority. We seek it in our life. Why? Because we have a tendency to seek our own glory. But through Christ, we seek His glory and we seek His kingdom purposes and we seek His plan for our life instead of that of our own. Listen to what 2 Timothy 4.18 says. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into His heavenly kingdom. Woo! We go into heaven, baby. Rescued. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. It doesn't end with good news for us. It ends with his glory. 2 Peter 3.18 But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Grow. Be strengthened. Sanctify yourself. Look more like Jesus. Woo! Why? To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Good news for us, but for his glory. Revelations 1, verse 6. And he made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. Woo! We got a kingdom. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That word amen, like in our prayers, is a point of affirmation, but it is a conclusion. Like our prayers, when we say amen, the prayer's over, right? That's why you always say, if you're chain praying, you say in Jesus' name, and then you squeeze the hand beside you because you didn't say amen yet. Y'all know how we do that. Don't act like that's, that's news to anybody. That's how we do it, right? In Jesus' name, and if somebody says amen, you're like, oh, gosh, what do we do? You know, and everybody's looking around trying to figure out what's, who prays next, right? Because why? Amen ends the thought. Do you know why amen is at the end of these verses? Because it's not at the end of the verse before that. 
It ends with God's glory. The mic drop at the end of all of these theological thoughts, of all of this beautiful theology, of all of this beautiful understanding of who God is, of His greatness, of His goodness, ends with His glory. So should our lives. Before amen is spoken in our lives, people should look at our lives and it should reflect not our own glory, but the glory of God. And before that purpose, we are not done. We're not through. Because God is glorious. And if that, if that you don't like that, I don't like the idea of God being about his own glory, my question would be, well, then who would you have him glory in? Us? People have proven time and time again that we are messed up and broken and jacked up and wretched. Would he put it in creation? Which in his word says that it groans to see him return. It's broken. Does it not make sense for him to glory in perfection? That's what we glory in. It's not done till it's done right. And for God to, to be about His glory means that our purposes are greater than our own. It's not about my brokenness anymore. It's about God and His glory that has stood as my substitute. And so I live for that. So it doesn't end with goodness of God toward me. It ends in His goodness toward me resulting in His further glory. Amen. To Him be the glory. He is glorious. And if we miss that, then we settle for less in the gospel. If you have made a decision for Christ at some point in your life, and there's been no change in your life, you have missed this vital attribute of who God is. And in my mind, I would warn you that maybe you missed God altogether because you made the gospel something it wasn't. It's not about us. So if you're here today and there's not been that change in your life, you're not living for God's glory, can I invite you to respond to Jesus today? Whether you're here in person, whether you're listening online in your homes, would you respond to God's greatness in humility? Would you respond in joy to his goodness? And would you respond in humble submission to his glory as we serve it? Would you make a decision for Christ today? Would you repent? Would you turn? And would you begin this beautiful relationship as we as a church start here? Would you respond in obedience, so that you don't have to say, I think I know where I'm going, but I have no idea where I'm at. You can know who you are in Christ. And what's beautiful is, throughout this week, we're going to be talking about how we know that we can trust this thing that has revealed God to us through His Word, how we can trust the reliability of Scripture. We'll learn that. We'll dive into that in our home groups this week. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? We're going to have a time of invitation. If you're here and you need to make a decision for Christ, whatever that looks like for you, listen, maybe you know that you are outside of a relationship with Him. There's never been a time where you've repented, you've turned from yourself, you've turned from your sin, and you have surrendered to the Lordship of Christ in your life. If you've never done that, then you are not a child of God. You're not living for His greatness, for His goodness. You've not experienced His goodness, and you are not living for His glory. It's impossible. 
to do so outside of a relationship with Christ. And so I would invite you to begin that relationship today. But I would also invite you, if you're here and you have made a decision at some point in your life, but there has been no change. What Jesus did for you, if it did not change you, then you have, you have forsook the glory of God. So I would ask that you would respond to his glory today and that you would find one of these counselors. We've got counselors that are in the front of the room, my right and left, if you're here, ladies or men. If you need to make a decision for Christ, it's, we may, he's made himself available to you right now. Right now. And I would ask that today would be the day of salvation for, for you. If you need to make that decision, whether, whether you know you're not believer, your life doesn't look like you're living and sold out to the glory of God. Would you make that decision today to respond as the Spirit draws you? You know. That's you in this room. You know it. Based on His Holy Spirit. We've talked about through the Trinity. Would you just be sensitive to that Holy Spirit? Father, give us boldness and strength to respond to this invitation. In Jesus' name. Amen. With heads and hearts still bowed, if that's you and you need to make that decision, we've got counselors that are waiting. Would you stand right where you are? Wherever you are, would you just stand up, walk to the center aisle, find these people. Nobody's looking around. Find one of these counselors and let them know about the amazing decision that you've just made for Christ. Don't be ashamed of it. Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father. And so the first step of obedience, the first thing to do, maybe just get out of your seat and talk to somebody. Find one of these counselors and share with them the amazing decision that you would like to make to surrender your life to Jesus. Would there be one? Right where you're at. Maybe invitation for you looks different. Maybe it means getting where you need to be with him so that you can start where you are. Maybe you need to get in obedience to him. Maybe you need to join this body of believers so you have accountability in a church family so you can quit forsaking the assembling of yourself together as he talks about in Hebrews. Get plugged into what we're doing. Maybe it looks like a very practical action step swinging by that home group table That's to your right as you exit today. And maybe it means signing up for a home group so that you can plug in and have small group accountability in your life to be encouraged and study scripture alongside fellow believers. Whatever whatever decision you need to make, I pray that you would do that before you leave today. If you're here and you're listening on live stream, there's a way for you to respond as well. If you'll text the phrase, the same exact phrase that, uh, that Will talked about at the beginning, if you will text the phrase, North Connect, to 31996, you'll be directed to our online Connect card. And through that, you can let us know if you made a decision for Christ today. It'll be automatically emailed to us. And we will follow up with you this week, we promise. So we would love for there. That's a, a really powerful way, awesome way that we have to follow up with you if you're listening online. For you that are here in this room, if you have those connect cards with you and you made a decision for Christ and for whatever reason you didn't respond, you can mark that as well on those connect cards and turn it into the offering bucket as we leave on your right on the way out. Um, Father, we thank you so much for your word and how your word has revealed yourself to us. Let us not miss that and make it about something that it's not. God, we love you based upon that revelation, based upon your greatness, based upon your immensity, based upon your goodness, on your eminence, and then based upon your glory that is your eminence, God. I just I 
thank you, your eminence. And I, I thank you for what you've done and how you've revealed yourself to us. Father, let us leave here never being the same. In Christ's name.